Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Tucker Johnson, and I am your host today as we experience NIMSY Live, where we talk about the latest and greatest in translation, localization, internationalization, culturalization, and all that fun stuff global companies need to delight their international customers, or at least not to piss them off too much. On this program, we invite guests who like to have fun and have some value to add for our audience of globalization professionals. I'm always eager to provide a platform to those with a good good story or a good data set. So let us know if there are any topics you'd like covered or guests we should reach out to for future episodes. If you haven't already done so, make sure that you are subscribed to Nimsy Insights. Now is your chance. Follow us on LinkedIn is probably one of the best ways to, to stay up to date. You'll be one of the first people to know when we publish new research about the localization industry available at Nimsy.com or when we schedule new live events like this. Speaking of live events, I want to make sure that you guys are all aware of the language services industry events calendar, which is available from Nimsy.com. Just go to Nimsy.com forward slash events. And we have a nice list of industry events coming up here. If you are hosting an event and don't see it on here, you can go ahead and submit that today to make sure that you are reaching your audience of potential attendees. Also, in addition to the events calendar, I will give a quick plug to the next episode of Nimsy Live, which is happening today. Later today, after we finish this one up, we are going to be talking about bringing user experience and localization teams together. And that is happening at 10.30 a.m. Pacific time. So we will see you there if you'd like to join us for the double feature. Uh, so without further ado, I'll give a quick introduction to today's topic and guest. On this episode of NIMSY Live, we are speaking with e-learning expert Abhilasha Chaudhari. We are, we're going to dive into the core of electronic learning, contrasting it with traditional methods. Our exploration will touch upon essential e-learning best practices and delve into the tailored design processes catering to unique learner personas. The highlight of our session will be the transformative impact of AI, of course, on e-learning, offering insights into its future. Wrapping up, we're going to equip e-learning professionals with key takeaways to navigate this dynamic field. So you are in for a treat because our guest today, Lasha, is a solutions architect at Lionbridge, where she uses her background in psychology and her expertise in learning design and instructional strategy to create impactful learning experiences for her audiences. With over 18 years of experience in the field, she is a thought leader and sought-after speaker who is passionate about using mixed reality and other cutting-edge technologies to make learning more immersive and engaging. When she's not working, she enjoys writing and doodling. A fellow doodler, welcome to the program, Lasha. Nice to have you. Thank you so much, Tucker. Yeah, what, Thanks for the lovely introduction. What did I miss out in the introduction? There's so much to say about you. You have quite the extensive experience working in the, the e-learning or the digital learning field. Well, I think you covered it well. I'm thrilled to be here and to share my experience, observations, and maybe some tips and tricks that I've picked along over the last two decades. Wow. Again, we're in for a treat today because you came prepared. You came with you came with notes. Um, we have uh, some slides that we're going to be going through. But we, before we get into that, tell me a little bit about your current role. What are you currently doing? I know you're a solutions architect 
at Lionbridge yeah. and a solutions architect. I've never yet found a good definition for the role of solutions architect. The best I can think of is someone who figures stuff out. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> so I've been with Lionbridge for almost 11 years now. And uh, in my current role, I really help organizations identify their learning needs and help them build uh, equitable winning solutions. So that's what I do. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thankless job. I've worked very, I have immense res respect for people that have the title of solutions architect. They've saved my butt a, a lot of times when I was in a previous life when I was working at an, at an LSP myself. I was, I was a competitor. I was working at Moravia. So... We came up. We came up against you guys quite a bit. <laughs> um, tell me, how did you get your start in e-learning? It's a good question. And my start was really organic. I started almost eighteen years ago, uh, right out of university. I joined, uh, you know, what was booming in India then, the BPO industry, and I joined as a customer service agent, taking calls uh, on the floor. And within maybe two or three months, there was an internal job posting and I was chosen to be a process trainer. So that's the first time, uh, you know, I came uh, to work with content. And before that, there was really uh, nothing I knew about training or content creation. And back in the days, we used uh, transparencies. I don't know how many of our audiences even know what that is, but there used to be like these transparent sheets where we had to write with highlighters, you know, have a projector oh, yeah. in the classroom. I remember those. Yeah, yeah the overhead projectors. So, it was back in those days when, yeah. so there was no role of an instructional designer, really. The trainer was the one who created content because they were the ones who were delivering it. And that's really where um, my work in content writing started. And then from there, I moved to a full-time, you know, instructional design role where I learned more about the technicalities, about instructional design, e-learning. Uh, I was an instructional designer for about six years before I moved to, you know, leading a team. Then I moved up the ranks and started managing a, a team of e-learning developers, which required like instructional designers, uh, graphic designers, integrators. So that kind of gave me more access and know-how into the other job profiles that kind of uh, complemented mine. And uh, well, 18 years later, here I am as a solution architect uh, with Lionbridge, and I absolutely love my job and love every single day of it. Oh, well, you, then you are luckier than most, I would say. <laughs> Let's, um, speaking of Lionbridge, we have this wonderfully branded deck that, that you have here from Lionbridge. This is not a sponsored episode, though I suppose it could be. Someone from Lionbridge Marketing, reach out if you want to cut me a PO <laughs> to do some sponsored content. Um, but yeah, it's this beautiful deck here from Lionbridge, e-learning best practices, and I'm going to kind of let you take the lead here and walk us through this. We've got an agenda. We're going to be talking about what is electronic learning, e-learning, universal best practices, e-learning design process, e-learning trends, and AI. That's where I am really interested in finding out more and some food for thought before we, before I turn it over to you. Um, who's this for? Like, who can benefit from this? Because, I mean, obviously, our audience here on Nimsy Live contains a lot of localization, globalization professionals, and there's a lot of overlap there because e-learning content needs localized. Um, but who's, who's, who's our audience today? Who are we talking to? 
So this is for anybody who works in the e-learning space. You may be in selling e-learning, so you have an idea of go what goes into creating good content. You could be an instructional designer who's actually designing that content. You could be a customer who's actually shopping for content or looking for innovative solutions. So you could be any of those people, and uh, I'm sure you'll benefit from this session today. So that's that's technically me too, I would say, because for those of you that aren't aware, I'm going to do, I'm going to hijack our conversation here for a shameless plug for Nimsy, Nimsy Learning. For those of you guys that aren't aware, Nimsy does offer a library of e-learning courses available at nimsy.com forward slash courses, I believe. And I'm going to subject you guys to a quick introduction video here. Nimsy Learning is the first ever e-learning platform designed specifically for localization professionals. We know how challenging our industry can be, and we want to help you and your business grow. Our video-based courses are created for localization professionals, industry newcomers, and those who are looking to gain insights to better navigate this globalized world and to understand the value of localization. Here's how you and your team can get started with Nimsy Learning today. Head over to nimsy.com courses and choose the course you're ready to take. Log in or sign up for your free account. Read about the course. Explore the materials such as quizzes to keep you on track. And learn about your instructor. You can even book office hours with him or her. Follow the course plan and revisit the recording at any time. We're constantly adding new courses to our growing catalog because we believe in the value of continuous professional development. Yeah, so for those that's of a you, nice, that's a nice crisp video. Thank you. Yeah. So for those of you interested, you know, we, we started this e-learning because, you know, there's a ton of e-learning. Oh, and when the pandemic hit, oh my gosh, it exploded. Everyone was coming out with their own courses, right? But, um, what we found was there's not a lot of um, e-learning available specific for our industry, localization. So that's why we created this here at Nimsy.com. So I say that just to, you know, give a shameless plug to Nimsy Services, but also to say, like, yes, I've been in that world of having to create content. And there are a number of best practices that I am not even aware of. So I'm looking forward to this conversation today. Um, with that... I'll turn it back over to you. Walk us through walk us through our, our deck here today. Perfect. Let's dive right in. So on the onset, I'd like to clarify a confusion that I hear often, which is around terminology. Okay. Now, many a times I speak with clients and uh, you know, sometimes colleagues who want to throw out the idea of e-learning because they see it as dated or old school and they want to explore, you know, maybe more advanced forms of learning like micro-learning or mobile or gamification. And now, you know, mixed reality, AR, VR, uh, but not really realizing that e-learning is an overarching concept that encompasses all of these different instructional approaches and strategies. So I want to put it out there, you know, right up front that electronic re learning really is any kind of learning via a medium of technology, which is online. And so today when I speak about e-learning, I'm talking about all of these, uh, you know, elements or all of these strategies and uh, components. So that's why I thought this slide was uh, important. Also, I think sometimes people don't realize that, you know, your 
language app or your fitness app on your smartwatch or, you know, your audio content uh, is a form of electronic learning too. Or your voice-activated audio assistants like uh, Siri or Alexa also contribute to e-learning. So I think we have this very narrow mindset about what e-learning entails and often dismiss it. So, yeah, I thought it was important to clarify that. Uh, it, is, it is important because sometimes I felt like I just showed you we have a library of e-learning courses. And if you go over there, nimsy.com forward slash courses, you're going to see my face on a lot of them, on a lot of those thumbnails because I, I, I recorded a lot of them myself. Yeah. And yeah. I always had like this um, this feeling of inadequacy because I didn't use like an e-learning language management system platform they're just they're just videos it you know what i'm saying well technically we kind of have a plugin for our wordpress but i was like yeah this isn't real e-learning it's just videos but it's good to hear that e-learning can take on many different forms and i think we're going to get into like what are some of the um mixed level like with mixed augmented reality mixed reality that kind of stuff absolutely absolutely so you know let's start from the beginning And one of the most important questions when you're talking about best practices in e-learning is uh, when we begin, we need to, we're answering a question, right? What we're getting after is what is the problem that we're trying to solve? Uh, More often than not, people begin with learning objectives, but I think we need to take a step back. And what's important to know is what is the problem that I'm going to solve? Mm -hmm. Now, why it sounds very straightforward Um, and many of our listeners today, I'm sure will agree, it is very rare that we get to the actual pain point or problem. Because more often than not, customers, you know, come to us with a predefined learning objective. So for example, they come to us saying they want a refresher training for the shop floor, or they want a refresher training for customer service agents or leadership training, or, you know, do a session on planning and prioritization, or, you know, create a simulation-based training for a new software that they've launched. And um, these examples, you know, you'd see that the objectives are clear, but do require some more probing. So maybe when there is a new hardware or a software that they're implementing, you understand why there is a need for training and you may not need to probe more. But for some of the other examples, it is important to get that clarification and to understand what is the problem area that the customer is trying to solve. Because if you've not got the problem right, then none of these other you know, elements are going to work and your e-learning is not going to be as effective because you haven't addressed the core problem. Yeah. Yeah. We get this here at MZL. We do a lot of, we have the e-learning modules, of course, online. And I like those because they're asynchronous and I like them because they're scalable. I don't have to deliver them in person. Right. That's why I like it from a business perspective, but we also do a lot of in-person and virtual workshops. Um, We'll do anything from like one hour workshops for clients to, you know, week long boot camps for our clients. So we do a lot of, um, training and development. Yeah. And that's the question is, uh, you know, sometimes we'll get clients coming to us saying, I want a project management training. Okay. Um, why? Right. Like what is the problem you're trying to solve here? And then you start getting into, the, the details of it is like, okay, do you need like how to manage budgets? Do you need how to communicate better with your clients? Do you need how to negotiate better with your supply chain? Right. Cause these are all very different. 
And if taken at face value and I just had, like, I don't think we have a course like project management because mm. what, what are the actual needs associated with that? Yeah. And you'd be surprised, Tucker, when you talk to customers, sometimes when they go back, the need may not even be project management. So for right. example, they may come with project management. And when you're asking these questions, you realize that this is a need that's coming from, you know, an individual department, it's not a global need. So then you want to ask more questions about what's happening in this department that, you know, is not mirroring the rest of the organization. And then sometimes you find that there are maybe interpersonal issues there. So the reason the person is not able to project manage is not because, you know, he doesn't have the skills, but, you know, maybe he's not willing to, or maybe, you know, people don't see him as a leader, which is a completely different problem and you're not going to address it by creating a project management training. So I, I'm glad that you said that, not me. I was trying to be diplomatic, but it's like, sometimes you don't need a training. Sometimes you need a new project manager. I'm, exactly. I'm and that's I'm no, absolutely saying and, what everyone's thinking. And that's exactly, you know, that's exactly the job of a content curator. We're not going to be creating content just because you come to us and you ask us for a piece of content. We're going to find out more. We're going to ensure that you are making informed decisions because ultimately that's where you're putting in your money. That's where you're looking, you know, at a return on investment. So as a content curator, it becomes our responsibility to have these difficult conversations. And I do encourage people to have, you know, more of these conversations with the customers, even when sometimes uh, there's hardly anything that comes out of those because sometimes it's just a check in the box that, you know, they need to have these mandated trainings or yeah. sometimes, you know, uh, there is, yeah. So depending on the, the reasons like that. Like the so mandatory sexual harassment trainings and stuff like that. that you so have compliance training yeah. could be a mandatory yeah. training. Yeah. Which HIPAA they just training, need to go through. stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. So which means just identification of the problem is not really the problem statement. So that's not what we're talking about here. And uh, once we have that, what we need to understand is that did the customer identify the need correctly? And then who is my target audience? So in this case, when you're saying there's a project management training that you were asked to conduct, then who is this training for? And are these people facing a skill or a will issue? You know, that's the next question. Hmm. Now, a skill issue is when someone doesn't have the skills or knowledge to perform a task effectively, which is then easier to uh, close because if that's the gap, then you know you can create a training program, make sure they are upskilled, and you know they'll be good to do their jobs. The second is a will issue, and this is when someone has the skills, but then they lack either motivation or confidence, or just right. not committed to perform the task. Yeah. And in this case, you know it's going to be um, a different kind of an intervention that you're going to need. You're probably going to need some coaching. You may need help from leadership. You may need to move this person out of this team, you know, into yeah. another team. So it would really depend on, uh, you know, who your audience is and what kind of issue they have. Yeah, and that's a struggle for us because, like, one thing we'll do for our clients is run like a maturity assessment, a program maturity assessment or in process audits right. or whatever you want to call it, where we basically yeah. go in and, you know, talk to a bunch of people, review a bunch of KPIs and documents and data and give a independent analysis of here's what we could do better to level up your program. Right. And Absolutely. inevitably, you know, some of the recommendations that we have to make are in regards to the people and, it's, it's always yeah. tough, like, because you have to understand what problems can be solved by providing 
additional training. So our recommendation would be you should put your team through XYZ training and what problems need to be solved by other methods. Like you say, moving someone outside the team and yeah. you can't train lack of motivation. You can't train, um, you know, some people just aren't a good fit and you're going to be doing them a favor to move them into a team where they, they are a good fit. Let's just say, right. Right. Yeah, you could always add, you know, you can always try and inspire a person. But like you said, there is there is a limit to as much you can do. But then ultimately, you know, they need to take a decision of whether they want to continue with these uh, sessions or just move the person out you know, yeah. to another role. Yeah. So we have so, learning, learning yeah. need and objective. We talked about that. Who's your target audience? And what is this? Says who? Says who? Yeah. So how did the client even arrive at this? And that's what we were discussing, right? Says who that this is the learning need and says who that, you know, this is the problem that they're facing. Um, and then what's important, uh, which I think most often we forget is constraints. So the very next step that we need to look at to creating effective e-learning content is to list down the constraints that we're going to be working with. Now, the constraints could be time, the constraint could be budget, could be technology, could be learner diversity, could also be availability of content. And I think sometimes what happens is we are uh, so eager to start our design process that once we've identified the problem, spoken to the customer, uh, you know, know who our audience is, have the learning objectives, we kind of just, uh, you know, go through the motion of the design process without really understanding that there are constraints that I need to work within. And uh, the problem here is that I've seen instructional designers pitch like stellar solutions and their demos look really great. They have these modern looking courses with cutting edge technology, sometimes, you know, with elements of AI and these are pilots that they've created. But then finally, when the customer sees an actual course that they asked for, they are in shock. And that's not because the pitch was a marketing gimmick, but because while the sky is the limit in, you know, what can be achieved, we are all bound by some constraints and we have to agree on those compromises and constraints. Yeah. And it's important to communicate that to the customer as well, because, you know, they're looking at something and not realizing that that's not going to work for them because a, their branding guidelines have only pastel shades. So they're not going to have all of these bright colors that they see. Um, you know, their technology requires that, you know, it, it works on really low bandwidth, the, uh, smartphones as well, which means we're not going to have those kind of multimedia elements that they're seeing. So while all of this is achievable, while, you know, the content curator may have the capability to do it, that's not going to be a solution for this particular customer just because of the constraints that we need to work in. And I see a gap there many a times in terms of expectation setting. Yeah. So hopefully that answers the question. I see people over in chat, you know, someone was asking to explain um, says who, and I, I hope that answers the question. I just wanted to give a moment to shout out to chat. Um, drop your question. If you have questions, comments, criticisms, drop them into chat and we'll, we'll go over there. I like this comment from Matt Susteta, a uh, tough conversation. If everyone else is the problem, you're the problem. <laughs> I, I, I just had to call that out because I like that, that conversation. I've, um, yeah, and I'm like, you know, just, just not to go into it, but it's like sometimes, you know, if, if you're a manager who's constantly saying, my team needs more training, my team needs more training, sometimes they do. Eh, eh, sometimes I need a new manager, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm just going to drop. Anyways, moving on. 
Um, yeah. We talked about constraints, constraints and compromises. Yeah. More to say on compromises? Um, yeah, sure. So compromises really are um, not constraints, but this is once you understand from the client point of view that you know these are the constraints you're going to work with. Now, these are compromises that you need to decide. So one could be, say, customization versus scalability. A lot of time customers come to uh, us wanting to author content in their learning management system. Yeah. Now, that's going to have uh, limitations because it, you know, it's templatized. Yeah. Can we custom create templates? Of course we can. But then that's not going to be a scalable option because what you're doing there is uh, you're not just making scalability harder and more uh, and costlier, but also when it comes to localization, there's going to be a problem there because you've customized these templates. So yeah. what could have been an easy localization workflow is no longer going to work here. So that, again, is a compromise that you make. Yeah. Uh, another example could be um, accessibility versus aesthetic designs. Now, here again, I've seen customers who literally come to us with their accessibility guidelines saying, you know, we need you to follow these to the T, but then they want the bells and whistles in the courses. And you again need to sit down and, you know, explain to them that the aesthetic design, you know, can only look this aesthetic considering all of the accessibility requirements that you have. And I think here again, as content curators, uh, this is our job day in and day out. So for us, it seems like a very commonsensical um, you know, thing to know, but it's important to remember that our customers are not really aware. And so we need to take that additional time to explain these constraints and compromises to them even before jumping into the design process. Well, and e-learning is a lot, and yeah, I know all about compromises, um, but e-learning <laughs> is a lot like localization in the respect and you straddle both worlds but it's a lot yep. like localization in the respect that people don't know what they don't know right and there's a whole specialty around there and we struggle with this in localization a lot where people want certain things they want a certain outcome but they have no idea like the process and stuff that goes into it so it really helps to have someone come in and non-judgmentally be able to walk them through and educate them i hate that word educate but it is a good word for this to educate them on on what that looks like going through it. Yeah. Let's go over to some universal best practices. Yep. Oh, let, me, so, let me just read, uh, read these because sure. I always forget we have podcast listeners too. We'll take this episode afterwards and convert it into audio. Um, but some universal best practices I'll read here. Number one, clear learning objectives. Uh, two, engaging content and personalization. Three, Motivation and gamification. Four, feedback and assessment. Five, collaborative learning. Six, multimedia and accessibility. Seven, adaptability. And eight, continuous improvement. All right. Yeah. Your floor. So there are there are really tons of universal design processes. And uh, thanks to ChatGPT now, you can just, you know, put in a prompt there and ask, you know, what are some of the best design processes? And it'll spit out like a hundred of those. Yeah. Uh, I've pulled these specific ones. <laughs> and 90, think... of, 90 of them will be correct, but you won't know which 91, 90 they are. Well, which is true because yeah. the design process is going to look different depending sure, on, sure. you know, the approach that you are going to take. And it's interesting you say that because that's the reason I chose these ones because these are more or less universal. And that's why I added that word universal because irrespective of whether you're going the AI way or, you know, are you getting into mixed reality or gamification or e-learning, 
these principles would still apply. So one is clear learning objective, like you need to know what is the need. And here you need to first find out, you know, are you teaching them something new? Is this just, are you sensitizing them to a new topic? And that's about it. You just want to uh, evoke a thought in them and leave it at that. Or are you building a new skill on an old skill that they already have? Are you trying to help them unlearn something and then, you know, learn a new skill? Or are you teaching them something new altogether? And having that clarity is really important because how you design your course is going to be based on this, you know, clear learning objectives. Uh, many a times when you read, like, you know, best practices, clear learning objectives, people often think the clear learning objectives are for the end user. Of course, the end user needs to have clear learning objectives so they know, you know, what to expect. But it's also for the content curator to know, you know, what is it that you're trying to achieve through this course. Uh, second is engaging content and personalization. And um, whack-a-mole is not necessarily engaging content. So, uh, you know, I... What, what do you mean by that, whack-a-mole? I, I think I know what you mean, but expand upon that. So, you know, so you know that whole game of where you have these yeah. moles coming out of different... So sometimes I have these e-learnings where, you know, they have an animation and then you're clicking here and clicking there and there's like sound effect coming yeah. from somewhere and, I'm, you know, trying to stop that too. So it's just so much happening on the screen and it literally feels like the whack-and-mole game, but that's not called engaging content. Like my mouse may be engaged, but am I really learning anything? So I think it's important to kind of know how are you engaging your audience? How are you personalizing the experience for them? Well, and it's hard because like, and this is why I uh, obviously as an instructor, I prefer in-person instruction, right? Because I can get real-time feedback from the audience. If they don't understand something, I usually don't even need to ask them. I can just see the looks on their faces, right? And they can ask questions in real time and all of that stuff. Very hard to do in an asynchronous e-learning format. Well, with AI, you can do that now. Oh, of course you can. <laughs> what can't you do with AI? <laughs> yeah, you can. You can actually, you know, look at their uh, blood pressure levels and know, you know, whether you need to slow down or give oh them God, like a break. So, yeah, a much, much more than a facilitator can do. Yeah, but we'll talk about that a little later. All right, all right. So the next is motivation and gamification. And I think, uh, you know, there's a huge difference between game-based learning and gamification. And they're two separate topics altogether. Like I have a different webinar and an article um, in the training industry about it. You know, maybe if you're interested, you could read more there. But um, sometimes I think game for gamification, people just convert a PDF into a game. So instead of answering the question, I now have a person running from A to B, and then they answer the question. And then, you know, they're running flows and then answering a question. I don't see a purpose in that. When you're adding gamification elements, you know, you ha there has to be a purpose. There has to be, uh, you know, a win. There has to be, it has to be designed in a way that motivates learners. The next is feedback and assessment, and it again works both ways for content curators as well as learners and end users. So, you know, how are people uh, working with your content? What is the feedback? How are they doing? Are they skipping sections? Why are they skipping these sections? And based on that, you know, you need to come back and try and amend your content or recreate some parts of it. The next is collaborative learning, and this is something you were talking about earlier on, which is, uh, especially in the post-pandemic world, which is a lot different than how it was, you know, before all of us uh, started working remotely. And I think now it's even more important to add these 
Tucker, do you still hear me? Yes, I do. I'm sorry. I am trying. Here's what I was full disclosure. I was trying to find the webinar. You mentioned you had a webinar. I was trying to find it so I could link it for the people in the chat. Okay. But maybe you can do that afterwards. Because, I would, I would because I'm just it. messing everything up here. So I'm just going to stick to this screen. I need a. I just heard an echo. I need a. I need a producer to do all of this stuff. <laughs> all right. <laughs> well, as long as you can hear me. Yes, ma'am. So collaborative learning, uh, you know, I would say I would encourage people to add, you know, discussion forums or project groups and encourage interaction and peer learning, especially since all of us are, you know, working in our own little silos. Uh, next Even is more so now that everybody's remote, right? Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's hard to create that collaborative learning experience. And this is one thing, you know, I was kind of talking to you before the, the show today. This is what I love about these Nimsy Live events is like creating this collaboration. It's like, yeah, you and me are here talking about something. But I mean, shoot, over in the comments, people are talking about their summer homes in Brazil, you know, and like having a conversation in Portuguese together, like building, building yeah. that collab, that network. And who knows if they're even listening to us, which is... <laughs> is awesome. Like, I, I love that community aspect of it. Yeah. Um, diverting slightly from this, but still on topic. Mm. Um, I recently had to speak at an event and I used uh, Pi, the personal, uh, you know, intelligence. And I was so impressed by the kind of questions it asked me. So it asked me why I was so, um, why was this topic important to me? You know, it tried to go back into my childhood and ask if, you know, there was something um, to do with this topic there. And I did actually find uh, something from my past which I could use for this uh, talk because of my conversations with Pai. And that is something I was used to doing with people. But, you know, now you have AI supporting you in conversations like those. Yeah. I mean, AI, AI can do a lot. AI wrote, and I say this, it's not the first time I've said this live, but I use AI to write my introductions, right? So for this podcast. So what I do is like, I'll go to your LinkedIn page, I'll copy your personal profile, and then I'll just tell the AI, hey, rewrite this into a podcast introduction. And yeah, you know, so sometimes it's pretty good. Sometimes, sometimes I wish I proofread it before I went live. But, you know, it is what it is. Which is where we need to know where we save time. So it's great yeah. that, you know, it gives you uh, the content, but then you still need to read through it and make those edits. And sure. But it did save you time. So, yes. yeah. <laughs> so next is um, adaptability. Or was I talking about multimedia and I accessibility? I don't think we've talked about accessibility yet, multimedia and accessibility. Okay. So here I mean provide alternatives. So if you're giving... Um, you know, an entire game to complete a quiz. Also give an alternate to just, you know, have a page turner and for the learner to then answer those questions because it's important to respect people's time. And um, if it's just a quiz, then they could take it either way. Or if it is a step list, then maybe provide a PDF option as well, you know, for them to download and see. And this is especially important in uh, jobs like, you know, sales or people on the shop floor where they're looking for information uh, you know, at hand, and yeah. there they don't want to go looking for courses. So always provide and something that's scannable part. too, because yeah. like I love watching YouTube videos to learn. I learn a lot from YouTube, but sometimes I just want a PDF so I can scan it and go right to the place where I need to. So true. I love when they put the timers at the bottom, and you can just jump to that. Section. I love that too. I'm too lazy to do that with these episodes. <laughs> 
All right, so next is adaptability. And this is, you know, to ensure that your content is responsive and it works on different devices, screen sizes. Um, this may not necessarily be a need, but, you know, always keep that at the back of your mind. Now with most authoring tools today, this they have a responsive design, so this is taken care of. But then again, we have customers who have their homegrown LMSs that we are required to work with, in which case, you know, these are things you should consider and keep in mind. And um, the last is, you know, continuous improvement, which is really important is to regularly review and update those e-learning materials. And I realized that this is not so much in our hands as it is, you know, in the customer's hand once you've handed over the e-learning to them and the content. Sure. But it's always good to, you know, either have that as a part of the process review cycle, you know, or when you do your business reviews to talk about you know, how training is going, what feedback have they received and what are some of the changes that you can make? So let's, great so list. Before you, before, before oh, you move to the, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so before you yet. move to the, all right. So before you move to the next screen, now these were universal design, um, you know, processes or principles, practices that people can use. Um, the next slide really is when I want to draw our audience's attention towards a way unlikely source of inspiration for designing effective content. And I think sometimes we forget that inspiration is like all around us and it really depends on how we see things. So if you haven't read this book and, you know, no spoiler here, I'm not going to give you a lot of information here, but I would highly recommend you read it. And this is a book called The Dancing Wooly Masters. And this is a book written by Gary uh, Zukav, and I think it was published in 1980s. Now, this book explores the intersection of modern physics with Eastern philosophies and mysticism. Mm. Uh, what it seeks to do is it bridges the gap between scientific understanding and spiritual insight and presents like the most complex scientific concepts and topics in a very easy to understand, accessible and philosophical manner. Now, I am not a science buff. I do not understand quantum physics, but I really enjoyed this book because I understood quantum physics without really having to understand, you know, the complexities of it. The Dancing so, Wu Li Masters is the name of it. Right. For those of you listening, you want to Google it. I'm sure it's available so, on Amazon. Yeah, I think it should be. It, there is a Kindle version as well. So how does this book apply to training and e-learning? Well, it doesn't directly. But then there are certain themes and insights that it can offer, you know, valuable perspectives to e-learning content curators. And here are some ways how. So, Tucker, do you want to read these for your podcast? Yeah, audience? let's do it. So, a fascinating and counterintuitive world of quantum mechanics, The Dancing Wu Li Masters by Gary Zukav. That's Z-U-K-A-V. Um, complex ideas made accessible, interdisciplinary connections, holistic learning, engagement through philosophy, encouraging curiosity, uh, metaphorical learning, open-mindedness, and integration of practical and theoretical concepts. All good um, all good things to be keeping in mind in e-learning is your thesis that, that you're bringing here. Absolutely. So when you talk about complex ideas made accessible, sometimes what happens with us uh, instructional designers when we're designing content, and especially if it is um, very difficult or challenging material, we kind of simplify it 
but then we lose the accuracy. We're compromising there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you will see how complex ideas can actually be made accessible without compromising its accuracy. So that way, you know, you also engage the learner. It re- resonates with them as well. Second is uh, interdisciplinary connections. And this really is, like in the book, it of course bridges the gap between physics and spirituality. But even when we are creating training uh, content, there are different fields, you know, that all come together and there's an interconnectedness of subjects. Like when you're talking about project management skills or when you're talking about, you know, soft skill training, uh, there is an interconnectedness between that. And I think uh, sometimes as content curators, we forget that and we kind of create a course, you know, which is uh, like a standalone course by itself. Yeah. And we treat this learner as, you know, he's going to be sitting in the silo, taking this course and then, you know, moving somewhere else. And we forget that this is a person, you know, who has, uh, you know, multiple, um, you know, hobbies. He, you know, has um, a job profile. He it's has like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. He has preferences. He has needs that different things that motivate him. So when we're designing content, it's important to kind of bring that aspect here, which also is the next point, which is holistic learning. And what this book does is it it encourages readers to think holistically about the universe. So, you know, how can your training be enhanced by presenting content within the context of a broader concept? So how do you put in individual pieces and then, you know, show them how it fits into a larger puzzle? Then there's engagement through philosophy, like storytelling is such a great way of, you know, conducting training, of encouraging learners to ponder over like broader implications of, you know, what they're learning or, you know, even have some profound insights Mm -hmm. Uh, that also then gets them curious, which is like a great way for people to learn. So when you spark people's curiosity, there is a sense of wonder. And, you know, that's a time that's like a teachable moment where you can have like these intriguing questions that you introduce to them. It could be like through maybe experiments. It could be, you know, questions. And that can then, you know, drive them to explore further. And also, all, all of these are yeah. like ways of tricking people into learning, whether they want to or not, right? Because a, a lot of times, like people, people need to be inspired and motivated to learn. Otherwise, they're not going to retain it. Like I can give a workshop, I can give a two-hour workshop, but are people going to remember what I had to say two weeks from now, right? And the ways that you get people to remember is you basically have to trick their brains into being interested. Because if they're not interested in what you have to say, then they're not they're not going to remember it two weeks from now. Yeah. You use the word trick, I would say inspire. In, okay, well, fair enough. Fair enough. But I mean, <laughs> one, one way to think of it is like most people, if you talk to them and you say, who was an influential teacher that you had in childhood? And most people will give you like one or maybe two names of a teacher that really oh, touched sure. their lives. But they won't. Oh, sure. I couldn't tell you the names of 95% of my teachers from grade school through high school. I couldn't. Right. But I could, I could give you that one name. Right. Yeah. And so it's like, what did that person do differently? Left an impact. Yeah? Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah, exactly that. So, you know, metaphorical learning or open-mindedness. This is, you know, when we're creating training, it's important to allow the learners to explore diverse perspectives. So, for instance, if you have a scenario, um, 
you don't always have to present the scenario from one perspective or the user's perspective, you know, maybe give them multiple avatars to choose from so that they get an idea of, you know, how the other person thinks or what is their thought process like? Why do they make the decisions they do? Uh, why do they speak the way they, uh, you know, do? And, uh, you know, that also helps bridge a lot of gaps. And then, of course, the integration of uh, practical and theoretical. So sometimes what happens is that um, we need to help them connect ideas to real world scenarios. There needs to be a balance. Now, what happens sometimes is, and this is like a very easy miss, is we could go one way, you know, and have uh, so many metaphors and stories and analogies that we forget the connection to the real world scenario. And the learner at the end of it may be inspired, may have learned something, but like you said, won't remember anything two weeks from now because there was no real life application for right. that learner. Yeah. So that's that's a loop that is very important to close. So while the Dancing Hooli Masters is not directly focused on training, its approach to presenting you know complex ideas in an engaging and related uh, way, offers very valuable insights for, you know, educators, content creators who are seeking to create meaningful learning experiences. And the reason I put it here is so people are, uh, you know, people look out for more inspirations in places they wouldn't expect it to. Yeah. Yeah, I watch uh, a lot of like different YouTube stuff, stuff on YouTube. And I, I do like the geeky science stuff. Like I do watch YouTube videos on quantum physics. I don't pretend to understand it, but I like watching it. And it is interesting how you can get knowledge and inspiration from something completely unrelated that applies to how you manage a team, right? Or how Absolutely. you deliver a project. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go on to e the e-learning design process. Right. And I am gonna, we've, I'm just keeping an eye on the time. We've got 10, 15 minutes. And I yeah. really want to talk about the future with the AI and stuff. So we might need to skip some stuff, but walk us through this e-learning design process, formulate, create, sure. evaluate, and commercialize. Yeah. So while it's great to follow best practices and look for inspirations, you know, that spark your creative juices, um, here is another junction where content curators tend to go astray. And uh, you need to remember that there has to be a structured approach and a design process to create effective learning. So while that process looks different for different instructional strategies and, you know, the approaches really boil down to, uh, like you said, formulate, create, evaluate and commercialize. And as long as you have these cornerstones, you will be successful in building effective content. So one thing here is if you look at this entire framework, it hinges entirely on your target audience. Mm. This entire framework is, you know, you're formulating the learning objective for your target audience. You're creating it for them. You're looking at, you know, uh, how they are responding to your training and evaluating it. So which brings us to the next junction, which is a very important question in designing, uh, you know, e-learning is learner personas. So if you move to the next slide. Um, I will. That is within my power of things to do. <laughs> there. Yeah. Now, we all know that learner personas are valuable in designing content because, you know, they help understand and cater to diverse needs and preferences and characteristics of target audiences. And, uh, you know, we do it as well. Like I create learner personas when I'm working on creating content. But here are some risks that you can run into if you are not careful. And Takam, you may want to read those. All right. The problem with learner personas. Simplification of diversity 
limited representation, static in nature, confirmation bias, risk of stereotyping, and overemphasis on demographics. All very good points. Like this is these are the pitfalls because personas by out of necessity, you can't have 500 personas. <laughs> because you, you just can't. I'm not even going to go into it. why you can't. You said it. But yet when you're you know, and especially in today's culture, people are very resistant to being put into boxes or being stereotyped or being lumped into a group. And that is what personas do, period. That's what they're intended to do, and that's what they do. And so, yeah, these are, I can confirm, these are some, some personas. I, you know, I don't do a lot with learner personas, but um, we do a lot. And I think I even have a workshop nimsy.com forward slash courses on buyer personas so like it's a very useful sales check that tool. Out. yeah i think Inga, so yeah, i think you, that might be Inga's sorry but yeah you said it all you said it all so that's that's really what you know the limitations or risks of running into creating these personas is and i think i just want to uh, you know stress upon one of these which is like you said, you know, the people evolve over time, they have, you know, needs, preferences, behaviors, and those also change. And you can't really put people in these predefined boxes. So, you know, despite these potential shortcomings, learner personas can still serve as a useful starting point in the instructional design process. Right. But then when used thoughtfully and supplemented with other research methods, so, you know, maybe ask more questions about the audience, you know, survey them if you can have direct observations, like nothing like it, and also be open to, uh, you know, newer information about these personas, which might not fit into your neatly packaged boxes. And as long as you do that, you know, you you should be fine with the personas. So I, I, I think, think that's the, a really good point. It's a way a way of thinking about it is they should be thought of as a starting point, right? Like a exactly. launching off point. Yeah, that's not your final end user. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So, all right, so let's talk to me the, about e-learning trends. Yes, the the most the, you know spoken about topic. Now, every day we read about, you know, latest trends which, in e-learning. Which, how... by the way, this is a great e-learning tactic. Save the interesting part that everyone wants to talk about for the last slide. <laughs> so You say tactic. <laughs> I say tactic. You say inspiration. Whatever. I, I'm a cynic. I'm sorry. It's not manipulative. It's inspiring. <laughs> All right. And, you know, so, yeah, so we learn about, you know, like there are newer trends every day and how AI is expected to shape the industry in 2023 and beyond. And, and I think it, this is such a fascinating time to be in the workforce because mm -hmm. we have endless possibilities at our disposal. And, uh, you know, whether it is for content curation, like you said, you know, you use uh, AI to, you know, create your essays, uh, maybe for deployment, for analysis, for amendments, everything can now be done at lightning speed you know, at half the cost, thanks to AI and machine intelligence. And uh, this is where you're going to be very disappointed. So I've listed some of the things here which are like trending in the e-learning space. So let me quickly run you through these and, you know, then I'll talk you, to you about the disappointing bit. Okay. So one is, you know, NLP, now natural language processing is huge. And this is where people are using chatbots or, you know, virtual assistants to provide instant answers to the learner's queries. And this is what, Tucker, you were talking about earlier as well, because when you're in a classroom, you said you're able to kind of look at the expression, answer, you know, offer personalized guidance. And you can do the same thing with NLP today. 
we also have emotion recognition, which is we have AI that can detect emotions in the learner's expressions, adjust content accordingly, and improve the engagement. We have speech recognition, and this is where, um, you know, the AI-powered speech recognition enables language learning or, you know, could give you pronunciation assessments or transcription services. Then you have cognitive computing, which is uh, where the AI system mimics the human cognitive functions. So, you know, it can solve problems, it can make decisions, which again enhances learner experiencing. Um, something new that I've been reading about is uh, neuromorphic computing. And what it says or it's inspired by is the human brain. And they say that this could be used to create more efficient and effective learning systems, you know, that are better able to understand and respond to human learners. And then, of course, you know, you have social learning and micro learning and e-learning and all of those. Now, a word of caution here. Now, all of these AI technologies are available at, you know, our disposal. And, you know, the e-learning landscape is dynamic with all of these new trends and applications emerging every single day. And it is important to stay updated with the latest development and, you know, make informed decision. But what's most important is how are you going to integrate this AI into your e-learning? And the question right. there is, it depends on A, what authoring tool are you using? So, you know, are you going to have like an external interface for it? Are you going to be creating um, or does your LMS allow integration of it as is? Do you need an open source code, which you would then need to customize and then use into your e-learning? So when you look at these AI trends and when you look at all of these, uh, you know, things it's able to achieve, it's great. But then how are you going to implement it in your e-learning well, that, is the question. That, that to me, I have no answer. That to me is a great question for a solution architect is what I would say. And yes. before we get into the our wrap-up here, I, I want to give you the opportunity. How, how do you use all of this um, knowledge, experience, insight in your day-to-day -to, -day to help clients at LionBridge? Here's your here's your opportunity. Plug 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 your services to me. Tell me tell me what this looks like in reality. Right. So what we're doing for customers uh, today is if we if I have a course in English, and say there is a story or an analogy that I'm using, I use AI for a learner to just click and have that same story be told in their native language, which would be customized to you know um, terms that are relevant to them, a story that they would relate to. So if you talk about uh, you know, somebody sitting uh, in Europe, uh, you know, they would relate to stories differently as somebody from India. So we've used we've used AI for that. We use uh, NLP a lot. We have chatbots that we've introduced into our training uh, courses. This helped not just uh, learners navigate through different courses and content, but then also uh, assess them and know if they need to go through the entire three hours of training or you know it helps assess if they could just do hour one hour four do a final assessment and be done with it so which again saves people a lot of time this is not something we are monitoring manually this is not done in the lms this is all done by ai we have a lot of speech recognition software so this is where we have uh, audio calls that we receive from customers sometimes we translate those into text using AI. It goes for reviews. Uh, there are responses that come back. We again have a speech recorded and send it back. So 
we've been using AIs in like different field depending on what the need of the customer is, and the scope is limitless. Yeah. So yeah. I, I you know, it, it sounds to me like you're get, you're able to leverage AI in a nutshell. What you're doing is leveraging AI Absolutely. to get a lot Absolutely. of the benefits of an in-person training environment without having while maintaining the scalability of an asynchronous learning environment. Absolutely. And then you need to work through these, uh, you know, questions of how will it fit into your learning management system? Sure. How does it fit into your authoring tool? Uh, you know, what your uh, local laws say, you know, are you allowed to integrate uh, some of these AI tools or not? So those are important questions that you need to ask as well. And um, I think if you could quickly go to the next slide of, you know, right, uh, got it. food for thought, a okay. confined space. Yeah. Uh, now uh, I know confined Sorry, go ahead. I'll just read it out. So food for thought, a confined space. One, focused environment. Two, structured learning. Three, immersive experience. Four, safety and control. Five, limited scope. Six, efficiency. Seven, guided exploration. And eight, exit strategy. All right. Yeah. All yours. So I know confined is a terrible word to use today where people are looking at, you know, out of the box solutions and high tech courses and, you know, all in half the time and half the money uh, in a world full of possibilities. Um, I want to remind you that you are still working in a confined space and you need to work in a confined space. This feeling of limitless possibilities and out-of-the-box solution with bespoke training material is for the customer. It's not for the content curator. And we need to ensure that, you know, we have a focused environment. So when you're talking about AI, I need to know exactly what my limitations are. Yeah. How much of AI can I integrate into the existing, uh, you know, LMS authoring tool? What does it allow me to do? What does it not allow me to do? If there is, uh, you know, there has to be a structured learning. If there is an immersive uh, environment, it is still controlled by me. So the learner might think it's, you know, an immersive experience where, you know, they're free to roam and explore. But at the back end, I know exactly how many interactive elements, multimedia simulations and assessments are creating this entire uh, engagement. Another important thing there is safety and control. And, you know, you need to take these safety protocols because they're crucial for the well-being of the individual. So you can't you can't throw them off in this ocean where, you know, there are no controls and, you know, you, you know, just leave them into this open waters for them to then, you know, find their way back. You need to have a controlled digital environment and you have to have a limited scope. So just because, you know, the client wants me to integrate AI, I'm not going to integrate five different technologies, you know, uh, saying, you know, these are the five high-tech technologies I'm using, I need to have a limitation on what is it that I'm going to be using, what objective does it help me meet without overwhelming my learners or having excessive unrelated information. Um, I recently was working with a customer who is creating a game on a smartphone. And as a part of the game, they wanted to introduce a virtual environment. And the first question we had is, this is the person sitting on the phone playing the game. Now he needs to have a wearable technology. He needs to have, how is he going to uh, transition from a cell phone to a virtual game? Well, you know, so this is the problem, yeah. I think, with this is why, and this is a whole different podcast, but this is why the metaverse that everyone was so excited about a year ago, not more than a year ago, like didn't really go anywhere because it's... You need a whole separate piece of hardware and people, you know, it's not a, something that comes to you. 
it's something that you have to go. You need to go to. Yes. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 And so you need to have an exit strategy as well. You need to know, you know, once the individuals have, you know, completed their work, their purpose is fulfilled, uh, they've completed the modules, they need to achieve what they needed to, what is going to be your exit strategy. And by employing these confined space analogy, you'd be able to create content that is, you know, cohesive, immersive, and distraction-free. So you may have all of your AI elements in there. You'd still ensure, you know, the learning has taken place and your content has been effective. Well, I think that pretty much wraps it up. I can tell that you're a trainer because you are an expert about ending right on time. Um, nine, nine fifty nine here on the West coast. Uh, before we leave, I want to tell everybody go on over and follow Lasha on LinkedIn. Um, follow Lasha, follow Lionbridge to stay up to date on, on what she's doing, all of the excited stuff that she's working on. Any closing thoughts for us before I take us out? Well, thank you so much. I hope, you know, everybody enjoyed this session as much as I did. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll second that. Thank you very much for joining us. And for the, I'll, I'll close this out here, if you don't mind. For those of you guys who didn't hear at the beginning, we have a double feature today. I'm gonna, We're going to be talking about bringing UX and localization teams together. That's starting in half an hour. So go refill your coffee and we'll see you back here in half an hour. Ladies, gentlemen, chat, we are out of time today. If you enjoyed this Nimsy Live experience, then we'll see you in 30 minutes from now. Uh, I thank our guest, Lasha. I appreciate my colleagues here at Nimsy Insights doing all the hard work so I can have these fun conversations. I appreciate everybody in our industry who fills out Nimsy surveys and schedules briefings with our analysts so that we can include you in our published industry research. And finally, I appreciate you, the audience, who are joining us live today. All of the dialogue and chat, everyone who left comments, questions, and especially criticisms. I look very much forward to next time. Cheers. Okay.